Welcome to The Open Word, the online teaching ministry of Pastor David Landry on today's episode. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. As a matter of fact, through the years, many would probably wonder, well, was Paul's ministry there in Athens a failure? Because there wasn't this big outpouring. Was it just a bust for the Apostle Paul at that time? Well, I honestly believe that if you were to ask Dionysius or Damaris or some of these others, they'd say, heavens, no, it wasn't a bust. It wasn't a failure. We're so glad that he was there. Why? Because eternity changed for them. Through the message of the gospel, regardless of the response of anyone else, we see some that came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. All of eternity changed for them because Paul took that opportunity there on Mars Hill. It may feel confusing to try to measure success of ministry. Some try to find success in the number of souls won for Christ. And while this is a victory to praise God for, a high number isn't the only indicator of success. Today, Pastor David will remind you that your faithful ministry may only win a few souls to Christ. But for those individuals who now will spend eternity in heaven, your ministry was worth it. Walking in obedience to God and following His direction is exactly where you should be, no matter how large or small your impact. Now here's Pastor David in the book of Acts chapter 18 as he begins his message from the up and out to the down and out. We've been in the book of Acts now for a while, and uh, we're not getting out of it very quick. As a matter of fact, uh, if we go the pace we're going this morning, we probably won't get out until around 2050, okay? (laughs) Because we're only going to take about four verses this morning. But in those four verses, I really want to bring out something within that that I think is very important for us to hear. Us as, as individuals, us as a church, us within the culture that we're living right now. Because as we looked last week, and hopefully you were here, you heard the message from last week. The, the culture that we're living in right now is getting more and more against the work and the hope and the message of the gospel. We speak of antichrist, and uh, yes, there is going to be one who is antichrist, but we are also living in a culture that is becoming more and more antichrist. And the, the message from last week, the message this week is, how do you and I deal and live and maintain the witness of Christ in our lives in that kind of a culture? Last week we looked at uh, the Apostle Paul as he was there on, in uh, Athens on the Oropagus or also called Mars Hill. Uh, that was the end of chapter 17. The response that Paul received while he was on Mars Hill or after he spoke there was, uh, was quite tame actually for the Apostle Paul. Quite tame indeed. It was varied. There was, there was some reaction there, but it wasn't really what we see in the Apostle Paul's ministry during, during these missionary journeys. 
Do you remember how they responded? Look there in Acts chapter 17, uh, up in that section of verses uh, 32 to 34. That's where we ended last week. It says, and when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, while others said, we'll hear you again on this matter. So Paul departed from among them. However, some men joined him and believed, and among them was Dionysius, the Areopagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. Some mocked, some wanted to hear more, and others actually believed and followed. What I do find interesting, in, in, in Athens, there was, there was no riot, you know, um, everywhere that Paul went, nearly. There was nearly almost always some kind of a riot, some kind of an uprising that, that took place. Seriously, we, we look at this, when you look at the previous responses that, that Paul received in his ministry, in his preaching and all, as he went from city to city, Athens was very, very tame indeed. Don't forget, just through his first missionary journey and even the earlier part of this second journey, the first missionary journey, he had Barnabas with him, the second missionary journey, now Silas is with him. And as we look at this, just consider what's happened to him as he's gone from city to city. He was kicked out of some of the cities. He was snuck out of one city in a basket over the wall. Uh, he was threatened uh, with his life in many of them. He was attacked in both the synagogues as well as in the marketplaces. He was attacked both by Jews and Gentiles. He, uh, at one point in time, uh, they, they stoned him. They left him for dead. They, he was beaten with rods. He was put in shackles. He was put in the depth of a prison. All of these things happened. So when you look at what had previously happened, and then when you look at what happened in Athens... Yeah, pretty tame indeed. Some mocked. Some wanted to hear more. And some actually believed and followed. As a matter of fact, through the years, many would probably wonder, well, was Paul's ministry there in Athens a failure? Because there wasn't this big outpouring. Was it just a bust for the Apostle Paul at that time? Well, I honestly believe that if you were to ask Dionysius or Damaris or some of these others, they'd say, heavens, no, it wasn't a bust. It wasn't a failure. We're so glad that he was there. Why? Because eternity changed for them. Through the message of the gospel, regardless of the response of anyone else, we see some that came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. All of eternity changed for them because Paul took that opportunity there on Mars Hill. So my guess is that Paul probably, even beyond that point, spent some sort of additional time in Athens before he moved on, sometime ministering to those few, even those few that had come to a saving knowledge of Christ. I can't imagine him simply leaving these newborn babies in the kingdom and then moving on. We do know that he moved on, but we don't know for sure uh, what that time frame is. One interesting side note that, that Luke mentions, and I want to take a, a moment or two here. Dionysius, Luke tells us that Dionysius was, was an Areopagite, and that, that, that's actually a pretty powerful statement when you realize what he's saying there. Adam Clark, uh, the Bible commentator, reminds us that the title, the Areopagite, uh, is actually given to only 30 men at a time, uh, and those are the ones who are a part of the Oropagus Council, the Oropagus Council. Uh, each of those council members 
in order to be a council member, uh, to be one of those 30s, had to, at one point in time, in the city of Athens, they had to have the title of the archon, or one who holds a powerful public position with responsibility and authority. You had to have that position before you could ever be appointed into the, uh, the Oropagus Council. Some of those who had even been the city governor of Athens. So that's the quality of the men that were part of this council that Dionysius was a part of it. No one would have been granted that position unless they had been recognized by their peers and by the public as being an individual of the highest reputation among the people, an individual with intelligence and again with good conduct in the world around him. Was it a pagan culture? Absolutely. They had all these pagan gods. But in Athens, there was still this order, this structure, and these men of the council had to be much esteemed. They were very influential within their community, even within that culture of that day. So for Dionysius to to come to faith in Christ, that was a powerful message because to the people in Athens, he was one that they held in high esteem. And because of his position... Dionysius now has this open door to be able to share his newfound faith in Christ, not only with the people of the city, but also even with other powerful members of the council themselves, that educated elite there of the Oropagus Council. Undoubtedly, that that had to give some kind of a credence to the teaching of this babbler, uh, this, this Apostle Paul, as they said earlier on. We want to hear what this babbler has to say. Well, Dionysius heard what that babbler had to say, received that truth, and now he is a changed man for all of eternity, and how he now interacts with those other. I hope, I hope and pray that he stayed as a member of the council because he could continue to influence the men of that council and perhaps even the culture. But even as Luke writes for us here, there's not a whole lot of transition between chapter 17 and chapter 18. If you got your Bibles with you, you ought to be at chapter 18 of the book of Acts. I want to read just the first verse to you. As I said, we're going to go just a little ways today, so bear with me. After these things... Paul departed from Athens and came to Corinth. Paul moved from Athens and on into Corinth. The year had to be around AD 51 to 52, according to historians. And what a dramatic change it was for him to move just 50 miles to the west from Athens to Corinth. Remember at this point, Silas and, and Timothy, they're still back in Thessalonica. They're still ministering to the early or to that new church there. So Paul moves ahead. He's moving on his own. Definitely he's moving empowered and led by the Holy Spirit. But physically he is by himself. Uh, we look at Corinth as busy, as powerful a city as it was because of what's called the Isthmus of Corinth that was there, a small little land bridge that uh, the, the sailors, the merchants would use, that little land bridge. They'd actually bring the ships, the smaller ships, up to that land bridge, bring them out of the water, roll them on logs, the four miles, to be able to drop them on the other side to continue on on their voyage. It's a very interesting thing because of that. 
Corinth was a very, very busy city. And as we shared about the city of Athens, again, Athens was known as much higher education, much higher intellect, as, yeah, definitely, as I said, the pagan gods, the goddesses, the, the, the monuments, all of those temples, definitely there. But it was an intellectual city. It was an educated city. Now we come to look at Corinth. And Corinth, yes, it was also a city that worshipped a, a, a tremendous amount of these pagan gods and goddesses. However, Corinth is actually known for its absolute perversion and wickedness. Corinth was that kind of a place. As a matter of fact, Albert Barnes shares with us, it was one of the most populous and wealthy cities of Greece. And at the same time, one of the most luxurious, effeminate, proud, ostentatious, and dissolute. Lasciviousness here was not only practiced and allowed, it was consecrated by the worship of Venus, Venus is the one that the Greeks would have called Aphrodite, okay, the goddess of love. Barnes continues on, no small part of the wealth and the splendor of the city arose from the offerings made by licentious passion in the very temples of this goddess. No city of ancient times was more shamelessly immoral and filled with debauchery. As a matter of fact, Corinth was so known for its wickedness that anywhere in the Middle East, if you found someone that was so totally immoral and wicked both in character and in action, it was not an uncommon thing to say, oh, they've been Corinthianized. They've been Corinthianized. It's kind of like, you know, we could conjure up the worst of cities like uh, Stockholm, Sweden, Paris, France, San Francisco, and New York City, and the worst of Casa Grande, and put them all together. That's what Corinth was. And so the Apostle Paul, without any of his fellow companions, he now moves into this cesspool that's known as Corinth. I think all too often we don't consider, we don't consider it the emotional, the the physical, and even the spiritual battles that, that are going to take place, even with a man like the Apostle Paul. We put the apostles, oh man, they're way up here. No, guys, they are just like you and I. They have a gift, they have a calling, they have a purpose in life, they have a commitment, absolutely. But you know what? They are men of like passions, just as we are. We come in and we see him go into this We put all of these biblical characters up on pedestals, believing that they're unmoved by the situations or the cultures that they find themselves in. But guys, we do great disservice. We do great disservice to them, but we also do great disservice to the power of God in individual lives that move in a variety of different cultures. Paul had just left Athens. He had just shared the hope of the gospel with the highest educated, the most influential men of all of Athens. And now he moves into the stench and just the overwhelming immorality of Corinth. So stop with me for a moment and consider. What do you think would have been the emotional and the spiritual condition of even the apostle Paul? as he comes into this city that's known throughout the entire region for its wickedness. 
How would that have impacted him? Well, let me help you to understand that. How would it have impacted you? If you, on your own, without your companions, went into this city and just were surrounded, yeah, all the pagan gods, but on top of that was the grossness of the immorality, the, the worst in the Middle East of that time. Last week we spoke, and I asked you the question of how would you respond to the culture that's so far from the principles and from the standards of Christ, so far from any recognition of the one true God? How would you yourself respond to that? And that's pretty much where Paul finds himself. And we actually have a couple of clues within the scripture of the impact of all of this on the Apostle Paul. Please do not put him in, the, in this pedestal, in this bubble of, of, of spirituality that, that says nothing can impact me, nothing can affect me. Because we see through the word of God that it did impact him. Just a couple of verses later, while you're in chapter 18 of Acts, the Lord gave Paul a vision at night. Look at what it says up in verse 9. Acts chapter 18, verse 9. Now the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision. Do not be afraid, but speak and, and don't keep silent. For I'm with you and no one will attack you to hurt you. For I have many people in this city. Think for a moment. Just use your logical brain. Why would God say to Paul, Paul, don't be afraid? Do you think it might be because he was afraid? Why would God say, Paul, don't be silent, but keep on speaking? Do you think that maybe there might have been a hesitancy in Paul to speak out the truth of the gospel because of the grossness that was all around him? Why would God say no one's going to hurt you unless he felt that his very life and existence was threatened there? Guys, let's put it real. Our second hint actually comes from the very letter that the apostle wrote to the church that eventually will begin here in Corinth. We find that he actually ends up spending a year and a half there ministering in the midst of that cesspool, which is absolutely amazing. Of all the places I would want to spend a year and a half, Corinth is probably not the place that I would have chosen, at least in the physical realm. But if God says, hey, that's where I want you to be, definitely. But listen to what Paul himself writes to the church there in Corinth. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter two, and he begins there in verse one of that chapter writing to the church, to the people there in Corinth. And he says, and I, brethren, when I came to you, I didn't come with excellence of speech or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. You see, he wasn't up there debating at this point in time. He wasn't there, you know, expounding the excellencies. No, he came to the simpleness of the gospel. But look at the next verse. This is the one I want you to pay attention to. He says, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. The apostle Paul? Weakness? Fear and trembling? 
Yes, even the Apostle Paul. As we see in that passage there in 1 Corinthians, I find it absolutely fascinating that Paul says, I determined not to come to you with that excellence of speech or wisdom. Instead, he actually came to them determined not to know anything other than Jesus Christ and him crucified. Simplicity of the message of the gospel. Paul's really honest with him here as he shares with them that, again, after that experience in Athens where he debated the intellects of the day, he's now coming into the city of Corinth, and as he comes into that cesspool of wickedness, he comes in there in weakness, in fear, and in trembling. No doubt there in Athens, Paul had the opportunity to wax eloquent as he shared with the educated, as he shared with the elite. But now Paul is taken from, yeah, an undoubtedly pagan but yet intellectual culture, and he's brought and plunged into this increasing darkness that's in Corinth. And that's why, again, the the encouragement from the Lord that we find back in Acts 18, verse 9. Don't be afraid, but speak. Don't keep silent. I'm with you. No one will attack you to hurt you. Do you think Paul was going through things while he was there in, in Corinth church? Absolutely. Are there going to be difficult times for you in your life, in your walk with Christ as we live in this culture? And should the Lord tarry? The unfortunate reality of the the downturn of our culture, should the Lord tarry? Are we able to stay strong? Only by the power of Christ. If you try and do it in your own strength, you will never make it. Look at a man like the Apostle Paul and the impact of that. Let's move on. Acts 18, verse 2. We're moving it. High rate of speed here, so hold on. Verse 2, And he found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontius, who had recently come from Italy and his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome, and Paul came to them. So because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for by occupation they were tent makers. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. Now, as we look at this process, we just move right into that. Oh yeah, now he's teaching with the Jews and the Greeks. But we don't know how long that process is. Let's pause. Let's slow down for a moment. Let's take a moment to look and see what's going on. When he first meets Aquila and Priscilla, most scholars look at that and understand that Aquila and Priscilla probably were not Christians at that point in time. Luke introduces Aquila as a Jew, not as a believer. He introduces him as a Jew. When we look at Aquila and Priscilla through the New Testament, we find that they do become believers. They actually become co-workers or co-laborers together with Paul in the work of the ministry throughout not only the book of Acts, but even in Paul's writings. Many times, as a matter of fact, the six times that they are mentioned uh, throughout the New Testament, the, the couple is mentioned. Number one, they're always mentioned together. Guys, this was a husband and wife ministry team. And I tell you what, if you are in ministry, you better make sure that your husband or your wife is there with you. And I praise God that my wife, the strength and, and the companionship and the co-laboring together, what a blessing that is. I cannot imagine being here without her.
We're so glad you could be with us today as we opened God's Word and dove into the goodness and truth the Bible contains. If you've missed any part of today's message in Acts, we encourage you to refer to our website, calvarycg.org. Once there, you can browse our library of audio as well as learn more about the ministry of the Open Word. We'd love to hear from you about how God's working in your life. Please give us a call at 520-836-9676. When you call, please let us know how we can be praying for you. Again, that's 520-836-9676. If you prefer accessing information through social media, visit our Facebook page and keep up to date with all that's happening at The Open Word. Just go to theopenword.com. You'll be directed right to our page. You'll be able to explore more of Pastor David's audio there as well. As our time comes to a close today, Pastor David has a quick word of encouragement to share with you. Hey, thanks, Chris. Any time you spend in God's Word is valuable, and I'd like to encourage you to do it as often as possible. By diving deeper into the Scripture and letting it saturate your heart and mind, you'll be ready to take on your day as well as be prepared when the enemy attacks. If you're not sure where to start, you can begin by reading today's passage again. Or simply let your Bible fall open. If your heart is open to the Holy Spirit's direction, you can't go wrong. Hey, thanks for tuning in today. And I hope you'll join me again next time on The Open Word. Make a small-